Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Time now for the Brian Barrett Show on EEI. All right, we are with you until midnight. It seems like just a couple of years ago that McDaniels was the top candidate for a bunch of these jobs, and now he's sitting here, and the only opportunity he really has is the Raiders. And when you look at the Raiders, if you're going to rank that job compared to some of the other openings, if you will, it's way down on the list for me. Now, Minnesota, I don't love that job because Kirk Cousins is entering the final year of his contract, and quite frankly, he's just not great. I mean, he his raw numbers look fine, but watch him play in a big game, and he will lose that game. You think about some of the other opportunities out there as it pertains to the coaching search. The Giants are a complete mess. That used to be a team with good ownership. They have horrible ownership now. And I know it's still the Mara family, but they suck. I mean, that team, they cannot figure it out. They've had three coaches since they decided to move on from Tom Coughlin. That's just been a complete dumpster fire. I like the Denver job just because there's a lot of talent there. Now, the problem is you got to figure out who your quarterback's going to be. Now, with Denver, what's enticing about that opportunity is are they going to be one of the teams in the Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes or the Russell Wilson sweepstakes? Because they do have something in terms of to offer a star quarterback. They have good talent in terms of the weapons. You have Fant, you have Cortland Sutton, you have Jerry Judy. So there's a lot of talent. Tim Patrick's a good player. Not to mention they have a good defense as well. Even, remember, they traded Von Miller and their defense actually got better somehow. So that's an interesting job to me. Now, I know everybody laughs at Jacksonville. But the reason I think Jacksonville is a good opportunity is because of the fact you have Trevor Lawrence. So you have the young stud quarterback, and I know his numbers aren't great this season, but that job to me I would be interested in. The Houston thing, just a complete debacle. That's a mess. You don't know, is Davis Mills really going to be the quarterback long-term? So that that's a hard pass for me, and Jack Easterby's there. So it's definitely a hard pass for me there. And then with Miami, again, that's a quarterback question. Now, if they're going to get a guy like Deshaun Watson, depending on what goes on, with his legal situation, because remember, there are still two criminal complaints as it pertains to Watson. Okay, then maybe you can convince me to go to Miami because then you're going to have a star-level quarterback. But right now, if two is the guy, that's not a job I'm interested in. So I would put Jacksonville and Denver at the top of my list. 617-779-7937, the number. So a lot on the table tonight. What do the Patriots need to do for Mac Jones this offseason so he can improve and make a leap in year two instead of plateauing or taking a step back like we've seen from second-year quarterbacks in the past. And if you're Josh McDaniels, would you take the Raiders' coaching opportunity? Let's get to Ray. He is in California tonight. Ray, what's up, man? Hey, good evening, Brian. How's it going? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Good, good. So 
about the coaching staff, I feel like like if Gerard Mayo does get a co- head coaching job somewhere, I feel like it makes sense for Bill to you know like promote someone from in house, like someone like um, I believe it's Mike Pellegrino, who's oh no, he's the cornerbacks coach. I think I feel like it makes sense for Bill to promote someone like Mike Pellegrino to be the defensive coordinator alongside Steve. Or do you think like does Steve become the sole defensive play caller? Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I would think it would be Steve. The only other guy that would be really a candidate for the job would be Matt Patricia. But it seems like Matt Patricia's got his own role now. Like, he's supposed to be the new Ernie Adams, so to speak. But I do think, Ray, and look, obviously they really like Mayo in the building. And obviously a lot of these other teams like Mayo because he's only been coaching for a couple of years and he's getting interviews for head coaching jobs. So obviously people think there's a real leader there. But as it pertains to the Patriots, I do believe that if Mayo gets a job, it does sort of streamline things here, right? Where there's one voice controlling the defense because clearly what we're finding out after the season, there was too many chefs in the kitchen. Right. And yeah, Mayo, I feel like he's a well-respected guy. And I feel like if he does leave, then the Patriots are going to miss him. And um, in terms of what they want, what they need to do for Mac, I feel like I kind of agree with what you were saying. I think they need to get a top, Receiver, you mentioned Jamison Williams. I like Chris Olave, even although I doubt you know he would fall to twenty-one. But what they need need is like a big play wide receiver. You know, someone who can get them chunk plays. You know, big yards. I feel like every team in the playoffs they have those guys, those top you know threats. I think the you know Mac Jones, he needs one of those guys, and if he gets those, I think you know he'll be the quarterback that. You know, we're promised, and yeah, that's that's it for me. I'll yeah. hang up and listen. All right, Ray, I appreciate the call. It's it's a really fair point, too, because think about it. His line's open, by the way, if you'd like to grab it. at 617-779-7937. Just think about it from this perspective. Tom Brady, in his final year with the Patriots in 2019, part of the reason he left, and I know there's all the stuff, the relationship stuff with him and Bill and the contract and all that, but a reason it was, I should say, easier for Brady to move on is because the Patriots are at a place where they didn't give him the best opportunity to win anymore. Because for basically the entirety of Brady's career, he couldn't, not that he was going to leave at any other time, but there wouldn't even been an argument for, okay, if I go somewhere else, I have a better opportunity to win. Because with Bill, for the most part, outside of really from 2009 to 2013, the Patriots had great defenses from the beginning of the Brady era till 2007, great defenses. And then they take a step back to really about 13 and they kind of figure it out in about 13 when they get to leave. And then of course they get Revis in 14 and they were good in terms of the defense of that second dynasty. So Brady could always rely on, okay, Belichick's going to have a really good defense. And secondly, Brady for the majority of his career. Now the first part of his career is different because obviously it's a different era as well. But if you look at it really from when it, I would say when it became Brady's franchise from 07 on, he always had a legitimate bona fide number one option outside of 19. He had Randy Moss at 07. And then after Randy Moss, it becomes Rob Gronkowski as the number one weapon for what? Almost a decade or so. So he always had that number one guy. He had Gronk, who's arguably the greatest tight end in NFL history, and Randy Moss, who's one of the best receivers in the history of the NFL. And he had two other things. He always had a running back that could catch the ball to the backfield, whether it be Vereen, whether it be Woodhead, whether it be James White in that latter era of Brady's career here. And then, of course, the other part of the equation is this. He always had the slot receiver, whether it be Wes Welker or Julian Edelman. So he had all three of those components. He had a legitimate bona fide number one option. He had a guy out of the backfield that can catch the ball. 
and he had a slot receiver a la Edelman or Welker. So he had those three components from 07 on were always part of the Patriots' fabric, if you will. We're always part of the Patriots' weaponry offensively. So those are the three things that Brady always had. And if you look at what's going on now with Mac Jones, he didn't have any of those three things. He didn't have the running back that could consistently catch the ball to the backfield, right? Because, yeah, okay, Bolden's okay, but he's nowhere near James White. So he didn't have that. Now, the Patriots planned to have that. They didn't figure that, oh, yeah, James White's going to go down early on in the season. He's going to be done for the year. They didn't plan for that to be the case, but it ended up happening. So Mac didn't have that. He didn't have the slot receiver in the Welker, Troy Brown, Edelman mode, and he didn't have a legitimate, bona fide number one option. He didn't have any of those three things. So Brady in 19 couldn't win without having the Rob Gronkowski's of the world. I'm not saying that Brady, it was Brady's fault or anything along those lines. I'm just saying it was very difficult for the Patriots to generate offense in 19 without having that number one option that was Rob Gronkowski. And now if you look at it, you're asking a rookie quarterback to do it with none of those three things, without the running back that can catch the ball to the backfield consistently, without the number one option like Randy Moss or like a guy like Rob Gronkowski, and without that legitimate slot receiver that the Patriots had for so many years. So think about how difficult that is for a rookie quarterback. So if you want to get the best out of Mac Jones next season, and if you want to make him or if you want to see him take a leap in year two, you got to help him out as it pertains to the personnel. All right, 617-779-7937 is the number. Let's get to Zach. Zach, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Good. Um, I'm so, I'm trying to talk about, so if, if Josh McDaniels, let's say Josh McDaniels goes to Las Vegas. Yep. Um, what, do, what do you think the chances are that we go to Bill O'Brien, a guy that's been in the system, he comes in and kind of Belichick knows him. And I think that'd be a kind of a good fit for Mac Jones. Oh, I would love it, Zach, because, of course, there was all that stuff last year where Mac, of course, was like teaching Bill O'Brien the offense when Bill O'Brien first took the job at Alabama when they were doing the transition from Sarkeesian. And one of the things I really like about Bill O'Brien is I kind of compare this to what happened with Brian Dayball, right? So Brian Dayball goes from being a position coach in the NFL. He lands the coordinator position with Alabama now different than Bill O'Brien because Bill O'Brien of course a former head coach but what he developed at the collegiate level was he used a lot of RPOs he used a lot of play action and he's doing that now with Josh Allen at the NFL level and I feel like if you bring back Bill O'Brien it could be very similar because if you look at what he did with Deshaun Watson when in 19 when he was actually playing every game and when you actually had Bill O'Brien coaching the entirety of the season, they dug into that a whole lot in terms of what they were running offensively. So I think it could actually help Mac Jones's development if McDaniels gets a gig and they bring in O'Brien. The question will be, though, will Belichick get O'Brien from Saban considering the relationship there? Yeah. Yeah. No, I also want to also touch on kind of the free agent and the draft class. So let's say, uh, let's say, so I know like, so my my the best situation is we go we go get Mike Williams and then because um, I know he's a free agent and then maybe I don't know if we'll get maybe Jameson Williams falls to us but also we can I know Drake London's a big prospect so I think we can maybe get two receivers from we can get a free agent and then also get one through the draft class thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll go after one, like, premier guy, whether it be free agency, right. whether no, it be via right. dr- via draft, and then try to get another guy, right? Because you yeah. could definitely use another body or so. So, Oh, absolutely. Mike Williams, though, Zach, I got to imagine that there's no way they let him get away from Herbert. 
Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't think, but I mean, they got Keenan there. So I mean, they, if the I mean, the, we know from this year's off season that the Patriots like to spend plenty of money on free agents. So I mean, if they're trying, we need we need it. I feel like we need it. Maybe we cut Aguilar. I know there might be some dead cap there, but we need a guy like Mike Williams. Yeah, they need a number one option, Zach. Moss, Look, Zach. Similar, I'm, yeah, similar. no, no, I'm with you. And if if he's available and the Patriots can get him, and Zach, I appreciate the phone call. I do it in a second. I mean, the guy's a really good player. I would definitely be interested in Mike Williams. I just feel like there's no way that the Chargers don't bring him back from Herbert. But I'm on the same page with you with getting Mac a number one receiver. And I said a couple of weeks ago that I think Bill O'Brien would be an upgrade over Josh McDaniels because of the offense that he'd run. You look at Bill O'Brien at 19 with Watson. I knew I had this in here. So 94 attempts out of play action for Watson that year, 65 RPOs. So 31.5% of his passing attempts came out of RPOs or play action. You look at Mac Jones this past season. 75 attempts out of play action. By the way, he completed 71.2% of them. uh, 28 or 32 attempts, rather, out of RPOs. He completed 87.5% of those. But it adds up to just 26.1% of his passing attempts were out of play action or RPOs. If you look at what Mac Jones did at the collegiate level, more than 50% of his passing attempts came out of RPOs or play action. And Josh McDaniels only dug into that 26% of the time. They have got to dig into that more in the coming years. All right, 617-779-7937 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. So I do want to get into some, some Celtic stuff. The real reason this team has struggled this season and last year, I'll address that in a second. Plus, we will get to a ridiculous shot somebody took at Bill Belichick. We'll get into all that in just a little bit here on WEI. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Right back to what you want to hear. More of Brian Barrett on EEI.
All right, welcome back in. So if you want to weigh in on any of the Patriots stuff, certainly welcome to do so. If you're Josh McDaniels, would you take the Raiders' job? Would it hurt the Patriots if he left? That's on the table. Plus, what do the Patriots need to do for the quarterback, Mac Jones, to take a step forward in year two? 617-779-7937 is the number. I do want to get to the Celtics for a second, though, because obviously more than a second. meant that. Figuratively. But if you look at the Celtics, last night they lose a difficult game after they had been having a pretty good January. But something that stuck out to me with this team, and this is something that has been abundantly clear over the past two seasons, we can get into some of the issues they have this year, and I will in a second. But just from a bigger, broader standpoint with this team, it's really been the inability to draft around Tatum and Brown. So, and this isn't even really on Brad Stevens because he had to trade away his first round pick this year just to get rid of the albatross that was Kemba Walker's contract. So I'm not putting this on Brad Stevens. I'm looking back to the Danny Ainge era, if you will. So if you look at what you've done in terms of surrounding Brown and Tatum with young talent, you just have been whiffing left and right. So I juxtapose them to a team like the Memphis Grizzlies, right? So I'm going since 2017. And what I'm doing is I'm removing Tatum and Brown from the equation, and I'm removing the two studs on the Grizzlies, John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr., because those are the two pillars of that organization. Obviously, Morant much more important than Jaron Jackson Jr., but Tatum and Brown, of course, are the pillars of the Celtics organization. So what have you done on the periphery with young players to add to your core? Well, if you look at what the Grizzlies have done, in 2017, they picked up Dylan Brooks in the draft, and they got him... 45th overall from Houston via trade. Okay, so they got value in the second round. You look at Desmond Bain. We all know the story there. The Celtics did not want to part with some of the young players, the Taco Falls, the Carson Edwards of the world. So they had three first-round draft picks that year. In 2020, Desmond Bain turned out to be the best out of that group, and they decided to trade away the rights to Desmond Bain to the Memphis Grizzlies. Not as if the Celtics made that pick. It was Memphis made the pick, and the Celtics, of course, traded them that pick. But Memphis identified Desmond Bain. Remember, the Celtics took Pritchard and Aaron Neesmith that year. So if you look at these two guys, that two young players, one late in the first round in Desmond Bain, one in the second round in Dylan Brooks. So I'm not talking about lottery picks. I'm talking about guys that they were able to find value in. Both these guys have hit for them. Dylan Brooks is a very good defensive player. He's averaging 18.4 points per game this season. Okay, then you look at a guy like Desmond Bain. 17.7 points per game this season for Memphis. He's shooting 42% from three, and he's doing it on 6.9 attempts per game. So he's bombing. It's not like he's not taking a lot of threes. Like he just has an inflated percentage because he takes two a game. No, he's taking basically seven three-point attempts per game. So around your young core, or around your two stars, and Jaron Jackson Jr. is not a star like Brown or Tatum is, but you get the point. The two young guys that you took early in the draft, Morant second overall, and Jaron Jackson Jr. was fourth overall, the Luka, DeAndre Ayton, Trey Young draft. So around your two high draft picks, you found Dylan Brooks and you found Desmond Bain. Both guys are really good defenders, and Bain is an outstanding shooter. All right, well, what have the C's done since 2017, since the Tatum draft? These are the guys that I identified. The two young players that the Grizzlies were able to find. Who did the Celtics find since 17 outside of Tatum and Brown? Okay, Ojale. Well, he's not on the team anymore, and he wasn't great when he was here. Robert Williams is the one guy that you say, okay, that's sort of kind of worked out. I like Robert Williams. I still believe in the kid. 10 points a game, 9.2 rebounds per game, 2.1 blocks per game. 
He's really good, and if you look at the advanced numbers, like the on-off numbers, they're way better when Robert Williams is on the floor. But here's the problem with Robert Williams throughout his career, and if you juxtapose that to what a guy like Desmond Bain's done, for example. Robert Williams, since he came into the NBA, he's played in just 54% of the games for the Celtics. And look, this most recent absence is because he just had a kid born, so that's a little bit different. But he's always dealing with something from a physical perspective. All right, so what have the Celtics done? Oh, yeah, they traded Bain. They traded Matisse Thibel. And Thibel, by the way, another guy the Celtics had, all second-team NBA last year in defense. So he's an elite defender on the perimeter, is Thibel. I mean, you've watched him before. You can see what that guy does defensively. So you had Bain and Thibel traded both those guys away. You have Neesmith, who barely plays, and now he's dealing with an injury. Pritchard, who's fine. He's a backup point guard. Langford, Grant Williams, who has shown signs this season. I don't know what they'll Tremont Waters. I mean, that's a guy that the Celtics draft recently. So the point being is the Celtics have had plenty of bites at the apple to find more contributing young players to plug around Tatum and Jalen Brown. And the reality is Danny Ainge and company, they just were unable to do it. And if you look at a team like Memphis, who's making a real run this season around their young superstar and John Morant, you found good young players late in the first round, early in the second round to surround him with. So that's really like the foundational thing. They've had a talent drain where Kyrie leaves, Gordon Hayward leaves, the Kemba Walker thing does not work out. You've had a talent drain, but you've doubled down on the inefficiency in terms of the off-seasons by not drafting well. So it's both those things that have contributed to the Celtics roster being where it's at right now. Now, I did want to get into last night a little bit because the Celtics lost what I felt was an important game to the Charlotte Hornets considering where those two teams were in the standing, so to speak. But I wanted to get to some of the issues that this team has. And one of the things that was pointed out last night was the fact that the Celtics, again, could not shoot from the perimeter, and they struggled to shoot threes. So Jalen Brown addressed that after the game. When when the three isn't falling for you guys, do you guys need to be more aggressive, attack the basket, or just will them in? How do you kind of approach it when you have nights like this? Uh, I mean, I think the easy answer is to try to get to the basket more, but um, this NBA don't really work like that. You got seven footers down there. You got to make the right play. Um, and we had guys, We at times we try to be overly aggressive and get to the basket anyway, but sometimes that leads to turnovers and, and even worse basketball. So, um, you know, we got to keep taking the open shots. And I think sometimes we pass up looks at times, but, you know, for the most part, we got really good looks. Um, they just, I think they outplayed us tonight. Okay, this is where I'll disagree with Jalen. So the Celtics last night were 14 of 46 from three-point territory. And the reality is, he says, you got seven-footers down there, and you can't always go to the basket. The problem is the Celtics rarely go to the basket. It's something they don't do nearly enough of in terms of the season. I'm not talking about just last night, and they didn't do it enough last night, but in general, they don't get to the basket enough. So if you look at the numbers on the year, the Celtics attempt just 22.8 field goal attempts per game in the restricted area. That ranks 25th in the NBA. So they're 25th in the NBA at attempts in the restricted area. Now, when they get there, they actually finish. They're shooting 68% in the restricted area this season. That's 6th in the NBA. So they're 6th best in the NBA from a percentage perspective in the restricted area, yet they're 25th in attempts. So Jalen talks about last night, you can't just go into the paint. Well, you guys have been good when you get to the basket, when you get to the restricted area. You need to attack more, especially Tatum and Brown. Here's another thing from last night. They took just 13 free throws in the game. Tatum just three, and Jalen Brown just five. 
And if you look at it on the season, the Celtics are attempting just 21 free throws per game. That is 15th in the NBA. Not nearly good enough when you have two wings like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown that can get to the basket. Now, I give Tatum credit. He's been doing it more as of late. He's averaging over seven since the beginning of the new year, and he's just under seven on the season. But last night was an instance where Jason Tatum, look at his shot chart, uh, shot chart rather from last night. He did not hit a single shot outside of the paint. In fact, he was 0 of 8 outside of the paint. Seven of those threes, one was a mid-range jump shot, if you will. 0 of 8. So that means you got to get your head down and you got to get to the basket. And I didn't see any of that last night from Tatum. Here's the other thing as it looks, as we look at the Celtics and some of the things that they need to be addressing at the trading deadline. It's just not a good shooting team. The Celtics, in terms of open three-pointers, and, or I should say, in terms of wide-open shots, which means the closest defender is not within six feet. Here's where the Celtics rank in that on the season, 24th. They're shooting just 39.8% on wide-open jump shots. Again, that means the defender is not within six feet. So think about that. They are literally wide open, and they're shooting 39.8% of those shots, 24th in the NBA. How about wide-open threes? They are 26 in the NBA on wide-open threes. They shoot 35.1%. Not nearly good enough. How about above-the-break threes? This is something they take way too many of because they're actually good on corner threes. They're hitting 38.7% of their corner threes on the season, which is 11th in the NBA. Here is the problem. They're 12th in above-the-break threes. They take 27 threes a game above the break. They're 32.4% on above-the-break threes. That is 23rd in the NBA. So they're horrible taking above-the-break threes, yet they're above-league average in terms of attempts. So this is what is just so perplexing to me and so aggravating to me about the Celtics team. They are good when they get into the restricted area, but they don't get into the restricted area, right? They're sixth in the NBA in field goal percentage in the restricted area, yet they're 25th in attempts in the restricted area. Makes no sense. You look at above the break threes, they're 23rd in percent, 32.4, yet they're 12th in attempts. So they can't shoot above the break threes, yet they keep taking above the break threes. They're good when they get into the restricted area, yet they're not taking enough shot attempts in the restricted area. That's what aggravates me about this Celtics team. And that's what I have to look at the coach when it comes to that. Because if you look at your shot chart and it just doesn't match up, that has to go on the coach. If you look at it from a defensive perspective, their shot profile is actually good. They're tied for fifth in defense. They're fourth in points in the paint. Just 42.2 a game. That's good. They're second in field goal attempts in the restricted area. They give up just 21.4. They're second in terms of forcing mid-range jump shots, right? So when I say second in field goal attempts in the restricted area, that means the second fewest. When I say fourth in points in the paint, that means the fourth fewest. When I say they force the second most mid-range jump shots, that's a good thing. You want teams to take mid-range jump shots because it's a very inefficient shot. And if you look at it on the season, they're second in mid-range jump shots forced. That's 13.9. And by the way, that's better than the Utah Jazz, who have Rudy Gobert down there. They are, by the way, they're fifth in um, contested twos per game. They're ninth in contested threes per game. And they're fourth in contested shots per game. So their defense is good. And the Celtics are really good from an analytical perspective, forcing teams to take above the break threes, not allowing them in the restricted area, and not allowing them in the paint in general, and forcing a ton of mid-range jump shots. So this is what confuses me about Ime Adoka. Your defense, right? The defense that the Celtics are playing, it's evident by these numbers. What they're doing 
is they are trying to force teams to settle for mid-range jump shots, and they are not allowing you to get to the basket. They don't want you to take corner threes either. That's all in the numbers I gave you. So they don't want corner threes. They don't want shots in the basket. They want above-the-break threes, and they want mid-range jump shots. So defensively, Ime Adoka has this implemented in his team. These are the shots we want our opponent to take. So this is what I don't understand. If that's the case, then why are the Celtics on the other side of the floor when they're on offense taking all the bad shots that the Celtics defensively are forcing other teams to take? Does that make any sense? You know what you want other teams to shoot, so why would you take those shots? That's why I just I have to look at the coach and say, you're doing the right thing defensively. The system you've built defensively works. From a math perspective, too, you're playing the numbers correctly. Why aren't you doing that offensively? I don't understand why. It makes zero sense to me. 617-779-7937 is the number. Let's get to Rich. He is in Dorchester tonight. Rich, what's up, man? Brian, how you doing, brother? Listen, Brian. Hey, let me tell you. I'm going to comment you, brother. You're a fourth savant. You hit everything right on the nose. The only thing, Brian, I got to question you on okay. is the fact Pete Carroll was 10 and 6, made the playoffs, lost to Pittsburgh 7 and 6 because Mike Vrabel uh, intercepted a Drew Bledsoe pass. He went 9 and 7, 8 and 8. He was not a bad coach here, Brian. Okay? That's the only thing I can question you on. And as far as Matt Jones getting receivers, I said all along, Matt Jones is Drew Brees. If you get him receivers, he's as accuracy. I think he could be a great quarterback in the NFL. And you hit it dead on about the Celtics, Brian. I hang up and let you comment, brother. Thank you. All right, Rich. Appreciate the call. His line's open if you'd like to grab it at 617-779-7937. So maybe I was unfair in terms of the way I labeled Pete Carroll saying that he wasn't great. I would just say, like, his next opportunity with the Seattle Seahawks, he was way better than what he was with the Patriots, right? He was able to kind of get that college mentality that compete thing to work with Seattle and I think part of the reason for that is they had a younger roster right a lot of those guys that Pete Carroll coached played for Parcells so you're talking about veteran players that had gone to a Super Bowl Pete Carroll's style was just never going to work here right all the energy and treating it like a college program it just wasn't going to work with the Patriots but when he went to Seattle and you had a young Earl Thomas and a young Richard Sherman and a young Cam Chancellor and a young Bobby Wagner and a young Russell Wilson it worked there right and basically Pete Carroll right away got credibility with that organization because what two years into his tenure they draft Russell Wilson they had given Matt Flynn a contract to become the starter and they give Russell Wilson the job. They don't give it to him. Russell Wilson takes the job. And that was kind of the ethos of what Pete Carroll did right when he got to Seattle. It was the whole compete thing. Remember, that was his mantra, if you will. So I felt it worked much better with that group of players. So Pete Carroll, I'm not saying he was a horrible coach here. He just, it was not a good fit and it worked somewhere else. I was just pointing that out to say some guys do work out the second time around. That's why I, I don't understand why Dennis Allen isn't getting more opportunities. Now, what was the other thing he commented on? Oh, he said I was right on the Celtics. Oh, the receiver thing. Yeah, and the Drew Brees comparison. I do feel like you should build this team like the Saints built the Drew Brees-led group, if you will, where you have the tight end. I feel like Hunter Henry can give you bigger numbers next season from a volume perspective. From an efficiency standpoint, he's good. You also are going to have to find a way to get a pass catching back, whether that's James White healthy or whether that's you got to go out in the open market and do that. You definitely got to figure that out because that's going to help Mac. 
and you need a big-bodied receiver that can run in-breaking routes a la Mike Thomas, a la Marcus Colston. Those guys really worked out with Drew Brees. Drew Brees was not great throwing the football out of the outside of the numbers. He did not have the biggest arm. Who does that sound like? It sounds like Mac Jones. I would build my roster. I would build my offense very similar to how the Saints built their offense around Drew Brees. Oh, yeah, one of the Celtics that I wanted to get to on this. So Jason Tatum, I mentioned, did not have a great game last night. Here was Ime Adoka after the game on Tatum. Jason, he just he, he's really trying out there, and it just seems like it's not going down. A lot of open looks tonight. Yeah. Could it be? Could it be mental? Could it be something that he's just tr- too, thinking about too much? I mean, it's it's our team in general, and and certain players. It's been a night to night thing. You know, you know, some nights they're shooting a regular or, or a hot streak, and then some nights they have some off ones. So, I don't think Jason's a guy you have to really worry about thinking about it too much. Uh, he comes out and takes the right shots, and. You know, I like when he's more aggressive getting downhill if the shot is not falling. But like I said, he was 0 for 7 from 3 and, and probably 5, 6 of them were wide open. So he's not going to pass those up regardless of how if the ball is going in or not. And so my message to him and, and the others is how can you impact the game in another way if your shot's not falling. And so I felt that's the area we could have improved on tonight. I feel like that is a fair, uh, fair critique rather of Tatum. If you look at last night, Usually gets eight and a half rebounds a game. He had six last night. And I did feel like for the majority of that game, he did settle too much. And I was complimenting him earlier in the week because his free throw attempts in January were over seven. But when you look at Tatum, only taking three free throws last night when you were 0 of 8 outside of the paint, that's not nearly good enough, right? you got to put your head down and you got to get to the basket. And he's actually been finishing better in the restricted area this month. He's over 68% compared to 60 coming into the month, which is just inexcusable. There's no way he should be at 60%. He should be in the high 60s without question. You look at Jalen Brown, he's at 72%. Jason Tatum should never be at 60%. He was around 68% last year as well. So I, I don't know what was going on for the majority of the season in terms of the finishing at the basket. But when your jump shot's not falling, and it's not been falling for Tatum for a good portion of the season, you got to put your head down and get to the basket. And I felt like last night, Tatum just didn't do that. He continued to settle for jump shots, and he never really put a stamp on the game. And I felt like, from a Celtics perspective, I've always been a pro-Tatum guy. It just was aggravating to me that it felt like the Celtics weren't treating this game like it felt the Hornets were treating this game. I wanted either Tatum or Brown to take that thing over late, and neither one of them did. But here's the thing I will say real quick. Can we evolve as viewers and opinion makers of the Celtics? I'm not just talking about people on the radio. I'm talking about fans as well. Every time the Celtics lose, can we not have the conversation of can Tatum and Brown play together? Because that wasn't the problem last night. It wasn't like, oh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, look, they can't work out together. They've been playing really well together for the majority of the season. If you look at the numbers in January... When those two guys are on the court together, they have an 8.2 net rating. Okay, the best net rating in the NBA this year is the Warriors at 8.1. So the Celtics, when Tatum and Brown are on the floor together this month, they have a 112 offensive rating and a 103.9 defensive rating. And if you look at on the season, they're at 5.6 when those two guys are on the court together in terms of their net rating. Harden and Durant are at 2.0. Okay, those guys are pretty good. And if you look at Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton, a team that made it to the NBA Finals last year, when those two guys play together, they outscore their opponent by 4.6 points per 100 possession. The Celtics are better than those two guys with Tatum and Brown at 5.6. So I really don't believe that every time the Celtics lose a game, 
we should be having the conversation of can Tatum and Jalen Brown fit together. Neither one of them is getting traded at the trading deadline. I wouldn't tell you to trade either one of those guys. Those are your two blue chip guys on the roster right now. What Brad Stevens and company need to figure out is how are we surrounding these guys? I've thrown out a bunch of names over the past couple of weeks the Celtics should be in on. Jeremy Grant, I mentioned last week. I gave you Buddy Heald this week. I gave you John Collins this week. All those guys. John Collins can shoot. Buddy Heald can shoot. Jeremy Grant, better shooter when he doesn't have to carry the offense, so to speak. Not to mention Jeremy Grant's actually an elite defender. But you need to do something for these guys. You're talking about young, budding superstars in the league. If you don't address that, address the deadline with some help for those guys, guess what's going to happen? It's going to become a problem. It is going to become a problem because they're not stupid. They realize that all these other guys across the league are playing with better players than them. I ran through the Grizzlies. What Trey, what, uh, excuse me, John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. have and Dylan Brooks and Desmond Bain. Those guys have better players around them than do the Celtics. What are you going to do for your guys at the deadline? Harrison Barnes, if he becomes available, that's another name that I would be interested in from a Celtics perspective. You have got to be aggressive at the trading deadline because it's not as if right now you're like a rebuilding organization. You don't have good young players. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are approaching the prime of their career. It's time to get them help now for the next four to five years. And a trading deadline opportunity here, you got to take advantage of it. 617-779-7937 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. Do you believe Brad Stevens will be aggressive at the deadline? That's on the table. Also, what would you like to what would you like the Patriots to do next season to help Mac Jones? And I will get to this next. A certain member of the media has taken a real shot at Bill Belichick. It is idiotic. We'll address it next here in EI. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medella is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medella is your reward. Medella, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Right back to it. This is Brian Barrett on EEI. All right, so the past couple of days, I feel like there has been a lot of overreaction to what happened with the Patriots at the end of the year. And a lot of overreaction to what the Patriots should do moving forward. But I believe Colin Coward takes the cake on basically the worst takes post-Patriots losing to the Buffalo Bills. So let's get to this one first in terms of Cowherd's take on Bill Belichick maybe not being the greatest coach of all time. I look at Andy Reid and I think to myself, New England's hole is the ability to draft offensive talent, Mac Jones, low ceiling, Josh Allen in division, and Andy Reid, good God, did you see their draft last year? Center, they drafted, best center in football. Guard, receivers, backs, tight ends. Don't be surprised if Andy stays till 69. You look at his last 10 years, and you look at Belichick's, and there aren't arguments to be made 
who we're calling the greatest coach of all time. Okay, so let's start with just how ridiculous that is. So, first of all, Belichick in the postseason is 31 and 12. He has a 721 winning percentage. Andy Reid is 17 and 15, a 531 winning percentage, barely over 500. Andy Reid during the regular season, 23 or 233, 135 and 1, 633 winning percentage. Belichick is at 433 and 290. So that's a 670 winning percentage. So 4% higher during the regular season. And if you look at his postseason, it's it's almost 20% higher in terms of his winning percentage in the postseason compared to Andy Reid's. Not to mention the fact that you would be saying that he would have to win at least three more to be in the conversation. He only has one Super Bowl. Belichick has six. So it's ridiculous on the face of it. But here's the other thing I would propose to Coward, and I don't know if he just didn't think about this. So when did Andy Reid leap Bill Walsh and Chuck Knoll and Bill Parcells, and heck, Joe Gibbs won three Super Bowls with Washington with three different quarterbacks. When did Andy Reid jump all those guys? That's what I'd like to know. And are we definitively saying that Andy Reid is the second best coach of this generation? Is he definitively better than Sean Payton? Sean Payton's got a Super Bowl as well. Is he definitively better than Mike Tomlin, who's never had a losing season, who somehow didn't have a losing season when Mason Rudolph and what was that other guy's name? Duck? Duck Hodges were his quarterbacks? You're telling me that he's definitively better than Mike Tomlin and Sean Payton? I mean, you can make the argument for Reed, but let's not say, like, he's head and shoulders above those guys. He's closer to Bill than he is Tomlin and Sean Payton. That's asinine. That's absolutely ridiculous. And to say all of a sudden he's getting close to Belichick when you still have to pass guys like Chuck Knoll and you still have to pass guys like Bill Walsh, and quite frankly, he's not as good of a coach as Jimmy Johnson was. And I get Jimmy Johnson's tenure was shorter, but he's not as good as Jimmy Johnson. So I just can't understand, like, how he comes up with this unbelievable conclusion because the Patriots lost to the Bills last week. And before the Chiefs, by the way, the Chiefs have to beat the Bills, and then after that, they'll have to beat the Titans or the Bengals, and then in all likelihood, they're going to have to beat the Packers or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like, let's have the conversation after Andy Reid wins, too, about getting close to Bill Belichick and his Six. By the way, Coward's all over the Patriots this week. Listen to his take on Mac Jones from earlier this week. Josh Allen in the last two games has been so devastating, unstoppable, and jaw-dropping. Could Belichick, and this was a great defense, be thinking, I probably got to trade Mac Jones because if this is a gunfight, I'm not sufficiently armed. <laughs> Justin Turpin's producer. Which one's worse? I think that Mac Jones one. I mean, you're going to trade the rookie quarterback? I and mean, you've been the one harping on the rookie deal. Yeah. And I, he goes on to say in that that you're playing with a quarterback for free at the most important <laughs> position. Isn't that contradicting your point right yeah. there? Why would you make that point? Why would you make that point if you're going to say they should trade Mac Jones? It makes zero sense. And the other thing that he says there is, and the, the funny thing to me about all this is, he said earlier this year, now, first of all, he's flip-flopped a million times on Mac. Before the draft, he said Mac wasn't going to work. And then he said Mac Jones during the seven-game winning streak, he's the next Tom Brady. And now he's saying you should trade Mac Jones. And how about his rationale behind it? Because he has value. So if he has value, doesn't that mean he's good? So why would you trade the guy if he has value? It makes no sense to me whatsoever. So after the Patriots lost to the Bills, and this is after Cowherd deemed Mac Jones, deemed the Patriots the favorites. And by the way, he picked the Patriots to cover last week. So he was wrong about that. But he had Mac Jones as the young Tom Brady. Belichick's back to being Belichick. And now 
Andy Reid is threatening Bill Belichick's status as the greatest coach of all time, and the Patriots should move on from Mac Jones. I, what is he like? What? Who does he think the Patriots are going to get for Mac Jones? Like, does he think all of a sudden you're going to say to the Chargers, "Hey, uh, maybe you guys want Mac? Can you give us Herbert?" Like, I don't even understand what he means by that. Does he think the Seahawks all of a sudden are going to entertain a Russell Wilson trade for Mac Jones? I don't understand his point. Oh, idiotic. By the way, I'm still pissed at Brady. What the hell's going on with this? The 10th episode was supposed to air on January 18th of Man in the Arena. And then we get Gotham Chopra saying, oh, we're going to get it in April? What the hell, man? I was ready to watch that on Tuesday night. Everybody's on the message boards being like, where the hell is this? ESPN's answering questions about this. And we get this tweet from Gotham Chopra. Nobody said this until this week that you weren't showing the episode. It isn't still in production. You're changing it. Thanks to Justin for producing. I'm back with you next week here on EEI. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.